I went to see a wise old man To ask him what to do He said there's only one thing works for me But it might just work for you Take a couple of pups Take a couple Yes, couple the pups No matter what, no matter when On cannabis you can depend Make each moment happy as can be Take a couple the puffs A couple the puffs when I wake up Starts my day out right A couple more with breakfast Helps my appetite Couple of puffs before I face the world makes the sunshine bright. I'm so glad to be alive. Won't you share my life? Take a couple of puffs. Yes, couple of puffs. Just it up. Yes, couple of puffs. No matter what, no matter when, cannabis you can defend. A couple of puffs. A couple of puffs with the one I love. Welcome back. You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Welcome. I'm excited about this one, buddy. Are you? I've been a fan. You have not been a fan. I've been a fan of Jason Crosby. You have not been a fan. You have been a fan boy. And I guess it's not just because I know his brother, but that certainly helps. Uh Uh-huh. And that made for the best interview prep ever. Uh Uh-huh. Like, some of it predated even his own memory. <laughs> some of the prep I had. Well, the, hold on. Then, then did it predate his memory, or is it memories of his brother had that didn't exist for real? No, because they would, when he was in the womb, they would play music, and oh, he was always around music even before he was born. I mean, that's <laughs> the family is a, like over-the-top, ridiculously music family, in a good way. Yeah, no, in a good so, way. I envy it. My, like, I have a lot of stuff I love about my family, what happened but there was to a his dearth brother, of music in my growing up. What I had to find it myself. Hey, that's something you and I have in common. Yeah. I mean, my, let me put it this way. My parents, uh, their, their car had a Neil what Diamond. What is this stereo? What do I need it for? They had a Neil Diamond tape. And that was it. Neil Diamond. Which, by the way, when I sing in the shower, I really feel like I sound like Neil Diamond. I'll sing it like between, like in the middle of the seventh inning. I'll sing Today! Sweet Caroline. I'll sing Sweet Caroline middle of the seventh inning. That's about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you will. That for those who are not listening, that's Inside Out Sports Radio. Rob Turner, hey, we're in the you. middle. We're in the middle of the playoffs, but this isn't going to air for a while, so I'm not making any predictions except that the Cubs are going to win the World Series, unless the Red Sox are in the World Series. I'm down for either. That would be if it was Cubs Red Sox. As a Red Sox fan who wants the Cubs to end the curse, that's called a win-win. That is a. Win-win. I mean, I would prefer if the Red Sox won, but if yeah. we lose the World Series to the Cubs, I think I'd be okay with it. Yeah, that. but this is Poppy's last season. I think I'd be okay with the Big that. O's so last season. We won three with the Big O. I know, but does he farewell it, or does he, or does he just drop it and go? You know what? We I, I, the curse over for you too, and then they just lose. It will make Theo Epstein an icon. But this is a music podcast. And we're here to talk about music. Seth, there was a festival here in Atlanta, and I completely missed out. I've been, uh, you know, hermity, a little hermity lately. 
Can you tell us about this festival that was in Atlanta last week? First of all, not only last weekend, October 1st was a crazy weekend for festivals. You had so so many rivers or so many is like above the river. I don't know. Anyway, this river festival. Above the rivers? Above the rivers. (laughs) It's above the waves, above the rivers. Above the rivers. Above the rivers. At any rate, so you had that. It was almost funny before you explained it. uh Yes. Well, not all of our listeners know the Disco Biscuits. Further explanation. Um, and then you had uh, Paps Blue Ribbon had a uh, festival in East Atlanta. And then you had uh, the Peach State Chili Cook-Off, which was a huge success. Um, Ooh, as an Uber driver now, thank you, Paps Blue Ribbon, for the East Atlanta thing. That yeah. Helped, that helps me out. Right on. PBR. So, and I always drink it at the Earl, which is in East Atlanta. But go on. So there's Many Rivers to Cross Festival. Um, Many Rivers to Cross. Had like Santana, Dave Matthews uh, solo. Uh, ton, ton, a couple more like really heady headliners. Seth, who wrote that song, Many Rivers to Cross? Um, oh, why do you do that to me? If you ask me, it's, it's uh, come on. It's uh, the... God damn it, you motherfucker! I know this. It's Heart uh, of the comes, yeah, 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 exactly. I know reggae. Uh, uh, not, um, I love this. this. Is my favorite part of the show, I, right here. Yeah, no, it's like if, if you, people have been asking me lately, what's your favorite part? This right here, and you should see the look on his little face. Jimmy Cliff. Jimmy Cliff, dude. Why did you do that to me? I know because that. Because it's my favorite part of the show. No, I just said I, that. I, I actually knew that. It's just you know, it's like when someone's like, "Hey, what's that name?" Now I'm like I'm thinking you, you fuck with me, man. Right, and I actually knew that you'd stomp and stammer and from so so many rivers to cross okay, and roads, many rivers. So they had all these headliners, but here's the thing: like even the production was like they didn't. They, so you went? No, I didn't go. So where are you hearing this from? I'm hearing from everyone that worked it, and uh, I'm not going to name names, but people that went to it, but a lot of industry folks that worked it. So I mean, let me put it this way: I got a call. I reached out to these folks like weeks and weeks and weeks, months, as soon as I heard about it. Because it had an awesome, I mean, awesome idea, this festival. It sounded awesome. But there was no marketing at all. Like, did you see anything in Atlanta about it? Not much. Not much. Did you see anything on Facebook about it? So kind of like that festival last year that D'Angelo was supposed to headline that got canceled. Similar uh, thing where it was underpromoted. I right? mean, this thing was way underpromoted to the point that it started, as it got closer, it looked to me like maybe... Just maybe this was a Monday money laundering thing, but then I'm like, Ooh. but then why would like Dave Matthews do it? Then I could be like, I'm, you know, Corn Capture is not going to take a anybody get dirty money, but yeah, I mean it's just weird. Like, oh, it's I don't know. The whole thing was weird. There wasn't uh, so. From, who did Carlos play with? Oh, get this! Oh no, Carlos had his band there, and guess who sat? So why in was with it billed as Carlos Santana, not Santana? Oh, I don't know. I thought it was. It was billed as Carlos Santana, so it made it seem as though he was going to play with a separate band or sit in with people. Or that's a good question. I know that uh, Grant Green Jr. sat in with him so. with Car- with Santana. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, Grant Green Jr., friend of the family here. Mm-hmm. Which we, I think it's time we get him on the show. Well, He's... Well, sure. <clears throat> all right, hey Grant, I know you're not listening, but we're still going to call you. <laughs> all right, so let me finish this, Rob. Speaking about not knowing publicity. Uh-huh. So this uh, this show. Um, not really well promoted. Lot, you know, the production peop- the production was almost not going to happen, and checks were bouncing like all crazy shit was going on. But the show happened. Uh, but you know, not a lot of people there. And Who did Dave just, Matthews play with? Uh, I think just solo. I don't think it was with maybe no, Tim, Tim Reynolds. I don't think Tim. I don't know. But now, yeah, I don't know. This now, is a great review. I, listen, I need to go to these things. <laughs> That's why you you publish this out try there. To, I'm not trying to review the to fucking get, thing, asshole. I'm trying you need to, to get tell me you to these things. You want Listen. a good review? Speaking of which, I have an idea. 
You, are you what done is, with the festival? I, 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 I wasn't even trying to give a review, Rob. What is wrong with you? It's a joke. Oh, God. Anyway, so it was a busy weekend. Uh, There's I that face that, again. There's that face again. So here's my idea. I want to. I have a trifecta of shows I, I want to go to next week and then talk about on the show here. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Thank you. <sighs> thank you. Um, I have a trio of shows. Tell uh, me what I'm you a Nausea show. Elvis Costello with Larkin Poe. <laughs> Bless you. You worry about my phone, and you're like hawking snot all over the microphone. <laughs> Did I and then the phone? next night is the Bob Weir country thing at the Ryman in Nashville. Which, by the way, I, I, when I asked for a ticket for you, they said, no, not him. Yeah, you're totally kidding. I'm looking forward to that show. Seth's going to hook me up with a ticket because we're going to review it on the show. And then Richard Thompson at City Winery. Actually, you're probably going to hook me up with that ticket, too. Speaking of City Winery, I just booked a show at the City Winery. What show? It's, uh, it's you know what? I'm waiting for the confirmation City from the Atlanta, band. We're talking about people. But, but uh, Jeff Coffin with Jennifer Hartswick, they're going to put a band together. So it's I'm always dying to see Jeff Coffin. <coughs> Is that what you're trying to say? It's a joke. It's a play on your little puns. I absolutely love Jeff Coffin. Go ahead. Tell me so the show. That I just did. Jennifer Hartswick. And Jeff Coffin. Yeah. Playing. They're, they're going to put together a five-piece band and do it up. Jennifer Hartswick, who uh, was seeing pictures uh, of her at the baseball game the other day. Apparently, Jake Peavy got her tickets for her. And uh, Peavy again. So yes, there you Peavy's all around. So us, you really dude. want to do this Peavy interview? I've been trying to interview Peavy. He was actually here in Atlanta back in May, but Seth was um, I don't know. Seth was in a lazy mode, but I can't. I don't know if I was in lazy mode or perhaps I was like working an event. Yeah, it was a family thing. I have family things, Rob. Right? I have family. In my family, we family do pressure. things. Family pressure. Family pressure. So we lost that interview, but hopefully we'll get him back. But I, I don't think, uh, I mean, if we're going to worry about, you know, if it's going to be with baseball, that's not till April. But Colonel seems to think that maybe he's going to be in Atlanta. Well, here's how we do it. He's Why don't we to, book a show with him and uh, do the same type of thing he did in San Fran, but let's do it here in Atlanta at I'm City game. Winery. Can you get Jeff Comente? I don't know. Maybe. Speaking of Jeff Cimente, he is a, or Comente, some say Comente, others say Cimente. He's mentioned in this interview with Jason Crosby, and we should pull it back around. We've babbled enough. Let's get into, oh, I'm okay. Sorry. I banged the table. The girth table. of Rob, I tell you. Bang the table. That upsets Seth. He's banging the table. Why don't you try to bang Bam Bam, or whatever, that's stupid. Bang Bam Bam? Yeah, no, I, I had to change the subject You, really another quickly. pedophile reference. What is wrong with you? I did not. That's oh Dude, do you know gosh. how old Bam Bam is right now? So I'm looking for Jeez, a new like, host. Anybody how old is he, 85 years old? Who wants to host a podcast? Um, R-S-T-N-E-R at Twitter. So Jason Crosby interview. Um, we had a, that, we spent a lot of time at Lockin' on that bus, by the way. I was thinking about that. They were very welcoming, and that was the best-smelling bus we were on. Yeah. Yes, it was. The straight out of, uh, you know, their whole thing, right? It smelled like 10 skunks had mated and died in there. And they only go wonderful. to states that skunks are allowed in. Skunks it, are legal. They're there. So Jason, who, can we, should we tease some of the people he's played with or not? I mean, you, we don't. You Fish fans will want to hear what he says about Trey. Oh, the Fish you Prince fans will want to hear about Prince. You Springsteen fans will want to hear about that. Deadheads, Phil, Bobby, a lot of other dead stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in this interview. He's one of those musicians, folks. If you don't know who he is, Almond Brothers fans, chances are you've heard him play. Or he's seen. one of the. Yeah, I mean, he's just he he's gotten around, but he's a real. His story is fantastic. I, I, I want you guys to go into this interview with a very open head space and and take in the fact. Uh, Put yourself in his journey for if you're especially for you younger folks out there. Listen, 
You're not sure what you're going to do with your life. You know that you want to do certain things. Don't worry about what. Worry about how. And he will tell you his, when you listen to his story, you hear how he doesn't know where he's going to end up. He just knows he's going to show up. And by showing up, he ends up. And he put himself in a position to succeed, first of all, by getting classical training when he was younger, by maintaining an enthusiasm, by being very affable and workable and a good listener. These are all things, that, and, and, and he's fun to hang around with. Oh, These yeah. are all things successful touring musicians want. They want someone who's accomplished. They want someone who's going to challenge them. They want someone who's not going to be a little brat on the road. These are how you get gigs, people. Mm-hmm. And, and of now- course, by having the name Crosby probably didn't hurt. Right, yes. So... Let's check it out. He also lives on Lee Shore Road. And we'll get to that. So let's check it out. Check it out. Let's check, check it, it out. Hi. Let's check it out. Well, Speaking nah, of Bobby, hey. let's check it out. Begging your indulgence, we're going to play the interview now. We hope you check it out. here backstage at Lockin, and today we're sitting down with Jason Crosby. Hey, hey. This is a guy, Seth, who uh-huh. was surrounded by music literally when he was in the womb, before oh, really? he was even born. And then, right out of the box, if you will, <laughs> he became a musician. Is that is that accurate, Jason? Well, I, I can say that I've been playing music for longer than I can remember. Uh, my first memory was... Uh, f- at four years old, and I guess I'd been playing for a year and a half. Been playing violin, so, so yeah. I mean, violin, so not like, not like, uh, yeah. I was, you know, I, was, I had a had a tambourine or yeah. Or no, like that. my, parent, my parents. Wow. Yeah, my parents started me shortly before my third birthday on the Suzuki method of violin. I had a sixteenth size violin, which uh, is like on the cover of Out of the Box. You're... Which is on the cover of Out right. of the Box. That record. Uh, uh, yep, yeah. and. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so, I, I, it's lar- a large family, three brothers, older, younger, two older, one younger. So, and I'm not kidding. In the womb, I mean, the, the parents sang Simon and Garfunkel and other stuff. They had a big grand piano. The brothers were taking music. Brothers played drums right? on the belly, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my oldest brother uh, Daryl uh, plays trumpet and piano, and my brother Brett played trumpet and guitar. And my little brother plays everything, bass. And, and the other one drums. plays just your music. <laughs> <laughs> And so let's talk about Suzuki violin because that's where you began to learn fingering on the violin and, and rhythm and that sort of thing. Yeah, so Suzuki violin is, a, is really an ear training thing. And so they put stickers on the violin to tell you where the notes are. And then you sing the songs and then you play them and you're singing the letters and the numbers. So like Twinkle Twinkle is A A E E 1 1 E 3 3 2 2 1 1. And, you know, and so you follow that, and and uh, and then so I guess you know what led to my first memory of four was actually going to my first piano lesson, and it was actually a piano audition. To, I was auditioning for this teacher, uh, um, 
she only taught Russian students. She was, so, so she like she like fast tempo stuff. Uh, well, Russian. She, I'm just saying. Uh, Russian, yeah, yeah. No, this the, is Tanya Lekman. Tanya Lekman. Yeah. So anyway, the, what brought me to Tanya was that my older brothers were recognizing that uh, I guess I was playing on the family piano all these violin songs that using this ear training and playing them in the same key and like on the piano without having ever tried you know getting a piano lesson. And they were like, "Wow, he's playing these songs. That's cool, but he's playing these songs in the same key that he was playing them in the violin. Like, how is he doing that?" at four years old yeah and, yeah, yeah. and uh, there was this well-known piano teacher Tanya Lechman who's a part of this big Russian community in Seacliff where all these concert pianists were being trained Seacliff uh, New York uh, Long, Island. Long Island yeah and Long Island Long on the Island um, and uh, so I went and I auditioned for Tanya as like the uh, you know to be her only American student and well, that was yeah. the first thing I remember was going there and, and meeting her and uh, I passed the audition and she was my only piano teacher for 13 years incredible still in touch with her? I, no, I, I, honestly, I, I'm afraid that she might not be with us anymore. Oh, no. The last time I saw her, she was moving to Vermont, and the, uh, the number I don't have her contact info, and she was pretty old. So she burned, I, I would, burned I would think out. that burned at this out, point, you know, if she's still with us, she's probably in her late 90s, and I, I've, I haven't been in touch with her in a while. Talk about Oscar Ravino, how you met him, and how, what the influence he had on you. Yeah, Oscar, and who he is. Too. Oscar Ravino, who, who is not with us, you know, uh, either, unfortunately. Uh, uh, passed away some years ago, but he was the principal violinist of the New York Philharmonic, and I got connected with him through the uh, teachers that I was studying through the Suzuki School, and I was, you know, needing to have a teacher that was not just ear training that was going to train me for competitions because I was doing all these classical competitions and stuff at that time, and uh, and so we would go to see the New York Philharmonic rehearse, and then after the rehearsals, we would go to basically the locker room or dressing room backstage, and I would take a lesson with the, with Oscar, and uh, he was incredible. And I, you know, I got all this training, you know, classical training between Tanya and Oscar to be able to join this orchestra on Long Island that toured the world. And and you know, uh, as a teenager, I got to see most of the most of the world playing classical music, uh, uh, not just on piano and violin but by that time I had learned other instruments played viola and trumpet and French horn and was in the percussion section and so I had this crazy musical upbringing and it's not so much different touring with the symphony as it is with a rock band oh yeah it? basically the same yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean on the level of craziness yes but on the yeah. level of abuse maybe not so much yeah yeah I you know I never really thought of music as a career until later till 16 or 17 really? after, even after though I you were, all that even though you were Careered. Well, I was careered, and I was making money doing it, but I, I, I was only playing really classical, classical music, and I, I don't think I had it in me. To, like, I wasn't to dedicate that time to be a mm -hmm. concert pianist or to or or to the desire to be a violist in a symphony orchestra and playing classical repertoires. That that being my life. So I, I just thought I would do something else. Like I looked up to my older brother who gave up music and became a lawyer, and he's, Darryl. you know, Daryl is super successful, and I was like, oh, I'd like to have two houses and a bunch of cars, and you know, uh, yeah, don't think I could do that playing music. I'm sure he looks at you and said, and you know, the grass is oh, always grass greener. Oh, grass is always greener. And my yeah, sister yeah. was always like, you got to be an accountant. What are you doing? I'm yeah, like, yeah. promoting concerts. Like, That's funny you say that. I actually went to college for accounting because I, 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 after high school, I went on a road with this band, Solar Circus. Uh, uh, it was a jam band, and I'm good friends with all of them still. And they kind of, uh, you know, took me under their wing. They were about 10 to 20 years older than me. I was right out of high school, and mm -hmm. I toured with them for four years. But I told my parents, if 
I'm not making good money by the time I'm 21 I'll go to college because I was like right out of high school yeah, and yeah. I, was, I was a pretty good student they were pretty pissed oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I wasn't making good money by 21 so I went to school for accounting <laughs> for a couple of years before I then got some better gigs uh, I have a specific night to ask you about with Solar Circus but first yeah. how did you segue out of classical and get inspired I know at a young age did you not sneak off to Nassau Coliseum to see the dead oh yeah your parents won't listen to this right yeah no no they can hear they know all the stories of me lying, <laughs> to, lying, lying to, to them about uh, I had some friends that lived in East Meadow and they would, you know I'd ask can I go see this concert at Nassau Coliseum when the tickets would go on sale and they'd say absolutely not and I'd say okay and then the night of the concert I'd say can I sleep over at my friend Greg, Greg's house who lives in East Meadow they'd say yeah sure and nice. <laughs> we'd pass right by the parking lot and everybody's there and they're just oblivious but, that's amazing uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I guess really I got turned on to jam band music when I uh, I ended up doing one year at a, a boarding school. My parents wanted me to get away from the public school vibe for a little bit and thought that I should go to a boarding school. And uh, I went there for one year and... And, uh, and then you grew your hair out. <laughs> and it was the wrong move on their part. <laughs> the Blues Traveler came to the school, Fish oh, came no. to a nearby school. I, you know, it's like... You know, I learned about all these bands. It's I guess nineteen ninety. I was about sixteen. Oh, but this is this is right before Horde tour then, right? Yeah, and yeah. So yeah. it's like right as so the Spin Doctors were probably totally, just coming up and totally. And I went and saw the first Horde at Jones Beach when it was ARU, and and that was like what kind of first turned me on to that. Would stuff. you say it first locked you into it? Yeah, and the locking yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was I was definitely locked in. It was the first time I ever jam jammed with anybody. Like I never jammed with anyone until I was sixteen. What I played was that music like? Because you had all this music knowledge. Like you know, your knowledge base is huge. Right. So then when you go ahead and you play off the line, I was terrified. I context. was terrified because I, it was the first time I played. And I didn't have a sheet of music in front of me to mm -hmm. read it off. So, I, so you I, went back to one, three, two. Just kidding. No, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. I was like, can I put some stickers on this thing? Uh, <laughs> no, it was, you know, it, it was terrifying, but in a good way. Uh, it was uh, my my roommate in boarding school. Like, could not have believed that I'd never jammed with anybody. He'd see me playing all these crazy classical pieces. He was like, we got a jam. He had a guitar, and we went to the music room, and I played. Uh, we played "And It Stoned Me" by Van Morrison. And it was even like, at first, this time, though, you were watching, you were seeing the Grateful Dead, but you were not performing jam. I was just seeing my first shows right at the same time. Got right it. when I was sixteen, it was I was like nineteen ninety was my entrance to to all of it, and mm -hmm. um, and there was a specific night where where I went with my brother Brett to the Wetlands and saw this band God Street Wine, and ah, uh, yes. and he put me Brett put me behind the soundboard and and uh, I locked in with them and specifically with the, like what was going on on the keyboards and. Uh, that's when I made that connection and was just I thought to myself I was like I can I can do this I can I can do what these guys are doing and this would be really fucking cool and you specifically wanted to play with them and a couple of years later were about maybe nine years later yeah well, permanent, nine, late. two years later you're sitting in and you actually tried out and they turned you down then you tried out for Blues Traveler too. well yeah that was, it was a number of years later I think that was more okay. like 97 okay. or 96 I think 90, 97 was the Blues Traveler thing and then 99 was the God Street okay. God, God Street thing so it was a, it was number number of years later but yeah I, I ended up playing and being friends with all these guys that, that uh, I went and saw it's, it's Before we get off been solar. an unbelievable path <laughs> We got a, the Solar Circus, though. Yeah. Because 8, 10, 95. What, what is that? Does that date have any meaning to you? It's the day after Garcia died. I was died. saying, I was going... They're playing a place called the Metro in Long Branch, New Jersey. Right, Jason? You know, yeah. what, I'm you know what I'm leading to. Yep. And uh, 
Bruce Springsteen came in with his in his soon to be in laws to to check the place out for a wedding event or something. I, that may be the backstory. I, I all I, I remember that he was the only one at the bar when we were sound checking was him and his father in law and the sound man, the bartender. I don't know that that's probably why and he, he was there. Uh, well, your brother was out talking with him, so oh, but, okay. he, but I, and I understand he was sitting there going, "But waiter, try the soup." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, he ends up sitting in with you. He knows you're a Grateful Dead inspired band. He knows Garcia just passed. Yeah. Do you think it had anything to do that there was? I mean, because well, he's we, kind of a big-hearted guy. Our, mm-hmm. We sent our elder members of the group. I wasn't there for the invite. They would like uh, our drummer and our guitar player, who would like the guys. They went up to him and a- asked him, "Mr. Springsteen, you know, we have this show tonight. It's a sold-out show a tribute to Garcia, who passed away yesterday. We just have to ask. It's okay if you say no, but you know, would you do one song with us?" And he, I think his reply was, "Fuck it, yeah, sure." Let's, let's Let's do it, and he played the whole set because oh, wow. he liked the action and, 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 on the guitar, right? He, he he liked the guitar that we gave him, and and he played the whole set. He sang "Not Fade Away," "Mustang really? Sally," "Watchtower." <laughs> he played on our originals. He ran around the stage trading licks with everybody. This kind of ties into what we were talking about yesterday uh, about the uh, well, this whole weekend actually about the Grateful Dead music. That I mean, you say Bruce Springsteen. I don't think Bruce Springsteen and the Grateful Dead. Like it just does not something that that just like like yeah. If you asked Bruce to sing a bunch of Grateful Dead tunes, he would. Say yes and be able to do that yeah, without yeah. saying, "Oh yeah, let me look up the Let lyrics." Inspiration flow. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go that far, but it, it, was, it uh, was it was it was cool. That that's awesome. Uh, that just it just that that music is so. We kept it at the like the covers that the dead did that he might be familiar uh, with. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we yeah. actually we did any. Sure, then, yeah. I don't think we did any any actual no. Grateful Dead material. It's on YouTube. Uh, yeah, some of it's on YouTube. My brother was able to film three uh, songs of it, and, and there's audio cell phone that, filming. So right, that's right. He just happened to have the video camera and be on tour with us filming and yeah uh so and it actually got brought up on jimmy fallon recently uh really yeah because bruce springsteen was on was on fallon and and fallon was like yeah you know i looked you up on youtube and i saw you playing mustang sally with this young jersey band and it led into some other conversation about him and his father-in-law and i was like oh shit are they talking about us (laughs) and so i went on youtube and i wrote in bruce springsteen mustang sally and like other than Bruce Springsteen E Street Band Mustang Sally is the only other mm. non Bruce Springsteen performance that's on YouTube is us. Oh man! And, and then, so like then that, that was what he, yeah. three weeks later you got the royalty checks coming. You're like, hey, look at hey. that! <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. And actually, I had another moment. I got to play with Springsteen again 14 years later. The Pete Seeger thing, right? On the Pete Seeger thing, I was playing with Pete Seeger in 2009 on a bunch of gigs, including his 90th birthday party at Madison Square Garden and we were backing up everybody we were it was Pete's band and the Saturday Night Live band were the two bands and we're going back and forth backing up all these artists and after the uh, in between the last song and the encore the, like these 80 musicians are in this holding area where no one can get by not even Pete Shapiro and this actually ties <laughs> in a funny Pete Shapiro story because I hadn't seen Pete in years and this is my moment to talk to Springsteen you know, like because it was the, every other moment like he's got his entourage around him so I go, I go up and I'm like Mr. Springsteen I'm the piano player with Pete you know nice to meet you and he's shaking my hand and kind of looking the other direction all these other people around and I'm like 1995 day after Jerry dies you're meeting your father-in-law Long Branch, New Jersey I just start like saying things really fast like that and he starts squeezing my hand he's like are you were the kid on the keyboards yeah I, I remember that and he puts oh, his right. arm around me and we walk down the hall it was very nice you know yeah. and then i walk back and uh and and shapiro he still can't get past the barricade and we're, <laughs> we're going up and he's like crosby come here and i hadn't seen him in years he's like crosby come here come here come here he's like 
Bruce Springsteen. He's like, he's like Bruce Springsteen. He's like, he's like Dave Matthews is here. Uh, you know, uh, Emmy Lou Harris. He starts naming all these other. He's like, why is he? What did you say to him? You know, like why was he talking to you? He, you totally had him engaged. And 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 I was just like. Solar Circus, and he knew, you know, because he was like, you know, Wetlands and Rel and he's Relics now, you know. So he knew. I was like, Solar Circus. We played it, and I told him the story. He's like, Oh, that's amazing. And then, and then he's like, We exchanged emails, and that's how I got actually reconnected with Pete and started playing Brooklyn Bowl with uh, my band uh, when when I was living in the city. So anyway, mm -hmm. it's funny. Uh, that is funny awesome. tie-in, kind of how my life has been. Yeah, you're, and there's, I mean, looking at the notes and. Yeah, looking you up and geez you you're non-stop and you've you've been very fortunate to play with everyone i've been really really lucky i i mean i've worked hard obviously i had musical training and all that but i mean it, it's you but know, you're one of those guys though I, that that people see probably that people have seen so many times they don't even realize it because you you're you're the you're the guy that people bring into their gig right you get a lot of calls to be that guy yeah yeah totally i mean uh i've been lucky to just you know have met people on tour and then like you know, another band on the bill or on the tour, and I become friendly with that band, and then they need somebody for a couple of weeks, or their manager remembers me, and I've just been kind of chain of events, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's led me from gig to gig. I, I've never had a manager. Really? No. Rob, you hear that? Oh, that's a thought. <laughs> you also are part of some legendary gigs at Wetlands, Jason Crosby and Friends, often on off nights of the Allman Brothers, yep. you know? And, yep. and is that how you ended up working with Susan? Well, no, I, I, so I ended up working with Susan through Oteil Burbridge. So Solar Circus did some gigs with the Aquarium Rescue Unit. Okay. And I got to know Jimmy and Oteil and uh, and all those guys. And well, let's not forget Kof the Colonel. Kofi Come and, on. Well, it was actually post-Colonel. Oh, I, really? I didn't meet Colonel until later. Until uh, okay. I was a, a little more established, uh, you know, maybe a decade after. A decade, but he still knew exactly. But I knew I was. I used to see Colonel on the Horde tour. Yeah. But by the time I met ARU, it was uh, Colonel wasn't in the band. But Sean O'Rourke was on drums. Sean O'Rourke was on drums, and we'll Paul, Paul Hansen was singing. Great Paul, singer. And uh, uh, Kofi Burbridge, and uh, so uh, I got to know those guys. And and uh, O'Teal, you know, said to me, he's like. Man, you know, when you get a little older, I, I might call you for some gigs, and I was like, okay, great, you know, totally, you know, they would just like the way I played, and I was like 19, 20, and they, I think they saw some potential in me, and and then O'Teal joined the Allman Brothers, and I, I had no way of getting in touch with them, and was just like, oh well, I'll never see him again, really, probably, and then we ended up running into each other in New York, and right around that time, his brother Kofi had joined the Derek Trucks band, and so uh, he had lost, O'Teal had lost his keyboard player for the Peacemakers. Uh -huh. And he's like, oh, this is so perfect that uh, that we're meeting each other, because like, I need you for a project, my band, which I think is perfect suited for you. Like, Kofi's got perfect pitch and plays keyboard and flute. You have perfect pitch and play keyboard and violin. You could just follow what we do and come out on this tour. And I was just like, hell yeah <laughs> and then, like that was like the end of the i was like okay no more accounting <laughs> you know that was like the first gig that that you know that popped up like that by and numbers by numbers <laughs> by numbers hello account yeah and uh and then he got me the gig O'Teal uh gave susan tedeschi my number and uh while i was making out of the box and working with the peacemakers and doing all that stuff i got a call from susan and she said I need a keyboard player for three weeks for the BB King Blues Festival. Nice. And I went out and I did that for three weeks and uh, played this violin solo on Angel from Montgomery. One of the first stops, I think, it was in San Diego. And it was sometimes when you open up for a big shed tour, there's could be five five hundred people there. It could be twenty thousand. This was one that was closer to twenty thousand. Oh wow! Yeah. I did this solo and everyone stood up mid song. And you know, it was the first wow. experience I ever had anything like that happen in my life. I was 20, chilling, huh? Twenty five, and she just looked at me. She's like. 
they like you, <laughs> you know. And uh, I ended up playing with her for four years, you know. Uh, any any interaction? Three weeks. Any interaction with BB on that tour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to hang out and share birthday cake on his seventy-fifth birthday. Oh, uh, nice. Um, and I became good friends with his nephew Walter, and he played on one of my records, uh, Barry Sachs and flute, and uh, yeah. And when you toured with Leo Nelson Telly in The Truth, is mm-hmm. that after Susan or during? During. Yeah. Okay. There was a lot of simultaneous gigs going on even back then, but uh, you know. Uh, he and Otia. That's another. He and Otia were well, pretty tight. Yeah. So I was playing with the Peacemakers and The Truth, and uh, and Susan, and uh, and then. Uh, I, uh, Project Z with Jimmy and Sype mm-hmm. and uh, and my thing, you know. So there, there was a lot going on back then. Which was funny. There's a video, another video online that I watched where you're. It's everyone in Project Z except Derek is is in Jimmy's spot, and it's really interesting because Derek's playing kind of like Herring. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. So I'm, Derek Trucks fans should check that out. Yeah. It would be Wetlands around 2001. Okay. Jason Crosby and friends. Right on. Uh, and then, so now, how about how do we get into Robert Randolph and the Family Band? Well, it's a good segue for that. I mean, so basically, I had all those things going on, and I was uh, getting to know Robert because he was opening up for Susan, and then, and so I got I met him then, and then uh, his manager also manages girl Shannon McNally, and Shannon McNally needed somebody for about six to nine months on a big tour, Letterman opening for Mellencamp, and it happened to coincide with Susan and Derek's first child, and Susan was taking six months off so I kind of just walked from one tour mm-hmm. to the other that, that was in 2002 and and a lot of that tour was opening for Robert Randolph so I just kind of found myself on these tours either him as the opening band me as the opening band and so then John Ginty their keyboard player uh, was missed, missed some shows and I uh, did some shows in Australia with Robert and we did a lot of playing together in 2003 and uh they made a change and, and John was no longer going to be in the band and, and uh, I had the opportunity to join Robert but it was a situation where I basically had to drop everything I was doing and join this band that was blowing up you right. know because we were about to play Robert was about to play the Grammys and go out six months with Clapton and play do a record with Clapton you know with Clapton on it and this just you know this huge uh, opportunity and uh, uh, you know it was the right decision for me to make at that time it's a very tough one to make, but uh, I, I just I decided to uh, you know go and go you know be a part of Robert Randolph and the Family Band, which I did for f- five years, and pretty much everything else stopped. Right you know, from '03 to '08, because he was, was touring hardcore then. It was like 200 plus shows a year. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> we're at Lockin. Fish is the big headline. My co-host over here is a lunatic fish fan. Uh, it was actually July 4th, and um, Trey came out, and just, it was uh, stunning. No, but there was, remember, there was a period where there he, was a period he where went he, away yes. for a little while. Yeah, are you talking about the, uh, the, the days of the codeine? Uh, whatever. I don't know. I don't know the details, but he went away and had to... Um, Did, would you say he, run away, run away, run away? <laughs> <laughs> you set that up. Come on. So I think his first public appearance after all that was sitting in with Robert Randolph and the Family Man, and I think you were in the band at the time. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that is correct. And that at Jones Beach. That was at yep. Jones Beach, and there was a there's there's a really deep, crazy, kind of like that Springsteen story, uh, full circle thing happened for me at that on that day too. It was pretty pretty wild. So in 1995, uh, I think it was, uh, me and my brother Brett went to go see Fish at Waterloo. And uh, it was it was a mess and traffic like, nightmare. Traffic nightmare. We had to walk miles, miss the 
Missed the entire first set? A lot of people did. And my brother, being the type of guy that he is, decided to write this personal letter to to (laughs) Delsner. Right? And and he writes this letter to Delsner and how he wanted to bring his little brother, who's this musician, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Brad, what are you doing? Sure enough, he gets a call from Harrietta Delsner. And and we get two working passes for fish at Jones Beach. And so now we're at the next show and we're on stage, the only fans. Watching fish, you know, and I'm like, you're kidding me. I, I'm, I'm dead. So, serious. folks, if you're listening, the whole saying, just write them a letter. Just write a letter. You get, just make sure you, you get go, on stage the next game. Just make sure the bitchiness is just enough. Give me a ticket, on out. It's like when you call like AT and T to bring your phone bill down. If you uh, talk to them for enough hours, they like, you know, that that's another bread special. Anyway, yeah. yes. um, <laughs> so, so we're uh, we get to watch fish, and I guess there was a meet and greet. That was happening. What were they? What kind of meat would they have? Uh, uh, pastrami mainly. Pastrami. Well, it was a Jones Beach. Oh uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> so, uh, so th- I think what happened was that Trey thought that me and Brett were part of this meet and greet, but the meet and greet hadn't gotten there yet. And this is before <laughs> before the show. And Trey engages me in this conversation, and he's being so nice, and I'm like, holy shit! And like the girl I'm dating, I get a, is, is out in the crowd, and I get him get Trey to sign this piece of paper to to this girl, and. And we're hanging out, and uh, I tell him about Solar Circus, and he's like, oh, Circus, and he's like, oh, maybe we'll get to play together someday. And I was just like, oh, that's so nice of you to say, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, 30 fish heads descend upon, like, this zone yeah. where we're standing backstage. And then I think he realizes that, like, we were just these two randoms <laughs> <laughs> with passes. and we're the not writer? Oh. And, so then, and so then he goes, and he does his meet and greet, and I, like, had this moment with Trey. And, and, uh, and it was so cool, because he was, like, Trey was definitely one of the, if I named five musicians that I went and saw as a kid in the front row that inspired me to do what I do. Trey yep. is definitely one of them. Understand that. And uh, and so it meant that meant that moment meant a lot to me. So anyway, started to be long-winded, but in 2008, you know, he sits in with us. And it wasn't the first time I'd played with him. Uh, Jeff Seipen uh, had invited me to play sitting in on violin with uh, Trey Anastasio Van in uh-huh. Vegas before. So I played with him. He's sitting in with us. But we, you didn't talk to him in Vegas when you sat in. No, we we okay. hung out. Yeah, like we, we we hung out, and I, you know, like he, I couldn't like Jeff Sipe. I thought he was like kind of punk, like punking me, yeah, because he knew I was like a fish fan, and he was like tooling on me. He's like, oh yeah, telling Trey, about, you know, like, you know. <laughs> it's like yeah, right. He's like, you're sitting in. I'm like yeah, right. And then he's like, hey, come with me, you know. And I'm following Jeff. Thought we were gonna go smoke or something. We like, like yeah. go in this room, and there's Trey with his guitar around his neck. He's like, hey, Jason, Jeff was telling me all about you. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> we sit down at this. We sit down at this keyboard, and he like. Like that brings out a boombox or CD player. He's like, check out this song. He's like, I want you to play violin on it, but I know you play piano too, so you can just learn it on the piano. And like, you know, it's like fifth fifth song. Gotta go. And they like start their show, and I'm like, holy huh. shit, this is happening. And I go, Do you remember which song? Do you remember the title? I don't remember. But that's I'll actually, I'm gonna pause the story there for a second. That's actually an interesting thing because it's just, so if you're well, for a listener that's not a musician. That's a little bit of an inside scoop there. So a lot of times when a musician's sitting in, is this a common practice where it's like, hey, I've met you, you haven't played our stuff. We're about to go on stage, but I want you to sit in, here, have a listen, so you can know what... I mean, that that's... That's, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess that happens from time to time, you know? Like, I know a lot of people... Think, send there's a lot of rehearsals or? with, like, Phil that'll happen right before we go on stage where yeah. it's like let's go over these three part harmonies because we haven't yet <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. that yeah um, yeah so 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 anyway uh, Jones Beach Jones yes. Beach sorry uh, you know we're, 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 we're sitting in, he's sitting in we play our show we end up standing right in the same, same spot. spot and I think 
part of the reason that Trey was there, you know, and he was going through a lot of stuff, and it was he had to like ask permission, I think, from the judge to even be yeah. there. And he was telling telling me about that, and he was talking about how like Clapton was one of the guys, one of his top five guys mm-hmm. or top guys that he used to see as a kid that inspired him to do what he what he does. He actually has a stage presence. There's a couple things he did, like the way he shifts his body. Oh, he very much does so. some very Clapton-esque things when he's playing. Yeah, he's totally. And and he's, so he's sitting there saying, hey, Jason, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I got my shit together. I'm going to get Fish back together. And, like, you know, this has been really inspiring, like the whole Clapton thing and, like, just, you know, how much this means to me. And I just started, like, kind of freaking out a little bit. And I had to tell him. I was just like, you're not going to remember this, Trey, but, like, you know, you're like my Clapton or like one of them. And we stood at this spot and like you said that, you know, like, you know, you were like, maybe we'll play together someday. And you said like some stuff that was really cool and inspirational. And like, and now here we, you know, it's like, it was kind of colleagues and now we're colleagues. And like, to me, like, I thought that was like a really special, like, Oh yeah. You know, moment that you don't expect when you're, you know, in the audience seeing a band and then, did he meet Clapton for the first time because that, of Robert Reynolds? Well, that, that was that, that night. That was why he wanted to sit in. He, I mean, he wanted to sit in, but he wanted to meet Clapton. Like, yeah, I think that's why he was there. <laughs> did Clapton know who he was? I don't think so. Really? <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe I mean, somebody told think, him who he was. You know? I would think that. I don't I mean, know. Clapton. I mean, Trey's a Trey's up there with guitar playing. And, yes, but Clapton he's also is not. A no fan disrespect, of the but I don't know. No, Clapton just, seemed very. He doesn't you like know. the jamming stuff since he left Cream. He's not. Yeah, that's you not his thing at all. I mean, you might not like Indian food, but you know the Indian restaurants but popular I think when maybe, you're in a restaurant. You know, maybe, I don't know why. That's an analogy. Yeah, I don't know very many Indian restaurants except in my city. Maybe he did know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, well, you know, my what? recollection we'll, we'll, from that day was that maybe not. We'll have to ask Clapton when we when we have him on our show. Yeah, when you have him on the show, yeah. ask him. Be our fiftieth episode, I think. I think so. Uh, let's move on, because then you played uh, the one that actually really impresses me that often gets overlooked, The Blind Boys of Alabama. Oh, it gets overlooked? Oh, boy, that is nailed me on that one. But how was that? Incredible. Incredible. Um, what were the rooms like? What were the audiences like? I mean, it must have been a real diversity in the places you played. Yeah, we played a, we played a lot overseas, and uh, it was always, like, you know, small theaters or larger you know, like concert halls, like where you would play classical music sometimes, you know, like a symphony hall. And it was always, always amazing experience. And sometimes we would play more like bar kind of venues, like jam venues. That was like in the States, we would do that more. Remember they played a jam venue once where Trey sat in with them and Trey said, hey guys, let's play I Saw It Again. <laughs> well, actually Prince sat in with us when we Whoa, were oh my in, goodness. in LA. Tell us about that. Um, it was pretty incredible. Was uh, it the... The prince, like, is Prince the awe? Was he the awe that people say? Like, he comes in and like, the room just all of a sudden turns into like clouds. He, he served us. He served us pancakes. Oh, uh, really? No. Uh, <laughs> no. He, he he was side stage with like a couple big dudes, you know, like uh, security guys, and he was just watching the set. He's a fan of the Blind Boys of Alabama, and uh, me and like the you know so the singers are blind and the drummers blind. The musical director, my friend Joey Williams, who played plays with Robert Randolph a lot still to this day, a lot. Uh, that's how I ended up playing with the Blind Boys was through Joey. Him and I were on the same side of the stage that Prince was on, and we were like, "Holy shit, it's Prince! He's watching us play." And so Wait, jo- Joey goes over. Does that, does that make you nervous at all? A little. Well, you know, it, it changes changes things a little bit. You know, <laughs> like, you start you start thinking a little bit more start about thinking like, well, where well, you're right, going maybe or I how was that play interpreted? A little funkier. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> you, you get self-conscious, like, ooh, did, I wonder what he thought of that, or... I mean, it wasn't the first time that I've had a moment like that, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, we did shows opening for Clapton, where it was like, you know, McCartney and Ringo and Harrison's son are there, and uh, Billy yeah. Preston, and all, you know, it's just like, you know, eventually you have to get that, get over that, you right. know, but it's still, it still is what it is. So, yeah, uh, Joey went over to the bodyguards and, and kind of, and Prince, and just motion by taking his guitar off his neck and looks like want this <laughs> you know uh, uh, actually no I got that wrong they came over the bodyguards came over and whispered into Joey's ear Prince would like to sit in uh-huh. and then he went and then he walked over and just was like do you want this and Prince came met him halfway and grabbed Joey's guitar and then he sat down at Joey's spot and Joey joined the uh, the, the, the core of singers uh, but uh, the 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 it was pretty amazing. I mean, the prince is looking back, and we're trading, trading licks, and he, we we're kind of, kind of just grooving. We're on, we're just on like playing the one chord. We were just got on this jam where we're just it was like a really hardcore church jam where we're just playing the one, and we're just playing an E, and we're just grooving. And uh, inter- interesting side story, f- kind of funny, is that this is when the main guy, the founder of the Blind Boys, Jimmy Carter, would be out in the crowd and kind of revving up the crowd and. You got it and praise him and we're fucking backing him up and we're playing all this church stuff and the crowd is going fucking insane because Prince is on stage right. but the blind dudes don't know he's like, he's <laughs> like I'm killing and they just yeah and so everyone is like all the blind dudes are just revving at the drummers just you know it's just amped up you know like they, and they just think that we're crushing it we are crushing it but like Prince is playing guitar with us and uh <laughs> so, 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 so that was happening, and eventually, uh, oh hey, yeah. um, are we good? Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna, yeah. Roger's uh, going to come sit in in a little bit here oh, okay. and yeah, join yeah. us and kind of segue. Yeah, we'll, totally. Are we taking? Are we done? Or no, 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 no. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Sorry. Finish the Prince story. Yeah, finish the Prince story. <laughs> okay. Actually, can you start it over? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so like you know. It, Eventually, Joey was telling the singers, you know, whispering in their ear, you know, Prince, it's Prince, it's Prince, but, you know, I, I, Jimmy out there, I don't know how long it took him to, uh, to, you know, know. But anyway, Prince gets up in the middle of the song and, and puts the guitar on the guitar stand, and we're like, oh, okay, you know, I guess he's gone. And I'm playing the B3, and all of a sudden I hear these high notes on the piano. And he's now on my piano. I had a B3 on one side, <laughs> piano on the other side. So I do what Joey does, and I did, and stood up and kind of put my arms in the air like it's all yours. Take the take the keyboard rig. I'll go sing or do something else. And he's like, No, come here. And so I went from the B3 to the piano, and, we, and I, for 15 seconds, maybe felt like a minute, but it was probably about 15 seconds. I played four-handed piano with Prince, huh. and we're swiping and doing all this. You Are know, there pictures of that? No photos of that. Oh. There's, there's a YouTube clip of him when he's on guitar, but there's not. I've never seen anything of the piano part. Mm. It did happen though. <laughs> and then and then we he and then he split and they were gone and and, and before the song finished and he went to play know, ping pong somewhere and yeah, right, yeah, yeah and he went to play ping pong somewhere yeah with, like Jimmy Fallon right right so who, you know legends like that like there's there's few there's few when you think about it and when we when he when he passed we we talk about this often it's like there's just few that that are as you know as magnificent or as just extraordinaire. Yes, extraordinary. Yes, Thank but you, before sir. Before we run out of time, at some point you had to move to, to San. You chose to move to San Francisco, right? Yes. What prompted that decision? Well, it was it got Street Wine again. Actually, what? Um, they came out and did a webcast at TRI Bobby Studio, 
and uh, and a jam at Terrapin Crossroads. And I met Bob and Phil, and Phil sent me a note saying how much he liked my violin playing. He didn't even know I played keys at that point, and invited me to sit in with the Wellmont. And so I went to the Wellmont, New Jersey theater and sat in with Phil and friends on violin. And Jeff Comente is like, play keys with me, because I knew Jeff. He's like, play keys with me on the encore. And I was like, shouldn't we tell Phil? And he's like, nope. <laughs> and Phil really liked my keyboard playing. And now he just wants me to play keys. I rarely play violin with him anymore. Uh, but then, you know, he started hiring me in California. While I was there, I reconnected with Bob. And Bob was like, man, I'm doing this weekly webcast. So we're here. Yeah, we're here. And so I, you know, it was just like I fell into like this Grateful Dead. You know, thing and I did to Jason Crosby and Friends, where my band was Bob at schools and Comenti, and all of a sudden I was just like overnight, you know, uh, was drawing more people and had more attention in Marin than I had in New York City, and I lived there for a decade, you know, and it was just huh. like, and I was going through kind of a relationship thing where that was a relationship was ending, and it was just like perfect time to move three thousand miles away, and I, and what a better time to do it when you got the members of the Grateful Dead wanting to play with you. But the first time you played uh, TRI, yeah, was kind of impromptu, right? Yeah, the, fir the first we're here, yeah. He basically called you when you're in your car and said, "He said, come on over." No, that was the second one. Oh, okay. We did one, and then he was like, "Hey, man, I may call you next week and do this again." And he called you like, and he called me like before. that afternoon, and I was like, <laughs> "Like, I was like, man, he never called." And then it was like, you know, it was like the webcast at like 4:30, and it was like 2:50, and I was just like, my phone rings. It says Bob Weir on my iPhone. I'm like, holy shit! You know, and it was like, hello. He's like, hey, man, remember when we were talking about that thing last week? And I was just like, yeah, Bob, I remember. You know, and he's just like, do you think you could come over and do this? And we and then he was like, "Hey, what's the difference between a fiddle and a violin?" And we started talking about that for a while. And it was like, then it's like show. after three o'clock, and I'm like, "I gotta take a shower and like get dressed <laughs> and like you know like do." It's like, "Hey, Bob, you know, I'll, I'll see you at the studio." You know, like I got to stop the conversation so I could make it in time. I remember there was one time awesome. where I think it was you, Schools, and him. Yeah. And you played bird song, and you started on the fiddle, and then mid song you. That went, was Bob's idea. That was over. Bobby's idea. Yeah. That's also on YouTube too. I mean, how much other stuff? I mean, were you are you were you able to bring stuff in? And how come you don't? I mean, I was hoping when you reformed Rat Dog, I was like, why two bases? Have one base and throw Jason in. I, you know, there. I, I don't know. I don't well, really want to comment too far on that. But the, the you know, I did some Rat Dog stuff, and then he went in another direction, and now he's in another direction. And Bob's like that. He likes to just you know, he just fucking Bob Weir. He can do whatever he wants. It does keep you him know. Up. And I love him, and like I'll play with him when he wants me to. Uh. And, and uh, you know, it's, I, I, I've got so many projects going on. When he's got other things going on, it's all good. Any more work know? with Phil coming up that you know? Oh yeah, me. The October. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm playing with uh, Phil uh, Saturday, and then next week I think on the September third at Terrapin, and then the Coney Island Amphitheater two nights, September fourteenth and fifteenth, and then back in the park at, at Terrapin at the end of September and some other yet-to-be-announced shows in the fall and uh, and New Year's in Hawaii. Hawaii? So a lot, a lot of Phil stuff. Coming. That'll be interesting. Right. And not only do you play with him, but didn't um, didn't Ross ask you to kind of help out with the with his son's band, too? Uh, well, I, I've just, you know, I, I look at those guys as family. Like, you know, when I when I first met there, uh, moved to, to the, you know, I was embraced by Weir's camp, but I was also embraced by Phil's camp. And, 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 and then they play tug of war between you. Uh, uh, no, I want them this weekend. I, I, you know, I try. I'm a, I'm, I try to be the <laughs> diplomat. You know, um, I, I love everybody, and, and you know they love each other. So. Speaking of loving so, everybody, let's go ahead and have Roger yeah. come yeah. on. Yeah, just coming in. So maybe you could talk about how you met Roger and got yeah, started. Which, first, was, which was at TRI, so it's perfect uh, t the timeline. Uh, I like TRI because TMI would have been weird, right? Yeah. It's when <laughs> Moon Alice played. We're here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then when did the 
when did you start playing as a duo? Uh, Which, by the way, you can watch uh, early Doobie Decimals on Moonalice.com. There's a ton, because that's one of Roger's uh, brainchild. Brainchildren yep. is to just get the stuff out there on the internet. I think it was that summer, because uh, I think that they, like, came, I think Moonalice played it on a weird here, like, in April. That's when I met everybody. And I, Steve Parrish I knew from the beginning, and he was involved with, with Moon Alice. And, uh, he was telling me about these Sweetwater shows that, that, that they, they, uh, Moon Alice was playing Sunday afternoon shows at Sweetwater, which I, uh, my, where I used to live at the time, uh, I could walk to. You know, it's like a mile from where I lived, so started going out. Walk and, there, and, crawl home. Usually it was drive there. Well, not on the daytime shows, but there's been a couple of evening shows where it was drive there, walk home. <laughs> I think my birthday, my 40th birthday, I uh, ended up walking back to get my car the next morning and uh, was spotted by some people who recognized me along the walk. And they're like, hey, are you Jason Crosby? And it was like 8.30 in the morning, and I'm like walking back to it's my the walk car. Of shame, I was right? like, oh, man. Well, if you were the colonel, you'd say, does Jason Crosby owe you money? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Also, Roger McNamee joined us in the middle of this interview, and we kind of segue into an interview with him. He's not only the founding member of Moon Alice and Doobie Decimal System, and he also was a founding member of Flying Other Brothers in advance of that, but he's a pretty famous, you might have seen him on uh, business television and so forth. He's a, a venture capitalist. He's a very uh, insightful investor and businessman, and he profited from the internet bubble and got out of it just at pretty much the ideal time because he's a guy who's ahead of his time business-wise and uh, kind of has brought that ethos into music and used his power and leverage to empower musicians. He's really a musician-friendly guy. He loves music. And he loves marijuana. And yes, very much so. He was puffing the entire time. We were about to interview Kuroda, so I, I wasn't touching we this didn't, stuff. No, I mean, um, the second And also, hand. by the way, the Spinal Tap reference you'll hear in this is what we referenced in last uh, episode, last week's episode with Chris Kuroda. But anyways, McNamee's not just a fan of music, but he's a generous and fervent supporter and empower of musicians. And that's one of the things I admire the most of him. We'll talk about some of the, the ways he's done that. Mm-hmm. Oh, like his program, Feed the World with a Poster. Uh, he has that poster program. He, every show, he has at least the show might have 20 people at the show, but he will have 200 posters to give away. I mean, exclu- that's right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because he also supports artists. He does. And he pays them handsomely and generously and shines a light on them and helps them make a career. So this is a very selfless 
person. He isn't one of these potheads who sits at home and munches and thinks about themselves. This is a pothead who cares about other potheads. God bless that. He does. And he is... He's such a he's he, he and non potheads. You don't have to be a pothead for him to care about you. Go on. I'm sorry. If, if you've if you've never met him, he um, he is the West Coast Grateful Dead. Like he he emanates that so much. I'm, ah. He has a venture capital firm <laughs> called Elevation Partners, which is with Bono, I believe. <clears throat> Elevation's the U2 song. I had no clue about some of that stuff though. I didn't realize him on the 360 deal and all that. That was inter- really oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. But you you might want to check out Elevation Properties because. Uh, and invests in, uh, well, you know, check it out. Check Elevation. it out. Check it out. Sitting you know something? Us. It is totally true. The Elvis. So, when I was 25 years old, I went to Sweden and I went and visited a woman who had been, uh, who had basically, my parents had exchanged a room in our house for babysitting services while she was doing a year abroad in the United States. So, she took care of me from basically in 1957 okay so I was a little over a year old by the time she got me so I come back I'm 24 or 5 she's now 40 something right and she goes I have a confession I'm going really you got a confession what kind of confession you got she goes I did something truly horrible (laughs) I am a regional nurse I'm responsible for like half a million people for the nursing program here in Sweden and when you were a baby I played nothing but Elvis and then if you ever cried I fed you bacon (laughs) (laughs) and did you shut right up with the bacon I'm just apparently the bacon just totally combination of Elvis and bacon so I didn't know this story so I, I'm going to say I was 10 or 11 years old. That's a little bit older than that. And Elvis was having like his mid, his late 60s comeback. So I guess I'm 12. It's 68, right? He's making the first comeback. Right. I know all the words. <laughs> and you didn't know why. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> why do I know all the words to Hound Dog and Heartbreak Hotel and, and doing these you know, little that's dances all right, that. Mama, and all that kind of stuff? I'm going, why do I know? And the answer is I was born in the year of Elvis. And apparently, heard nothing from Elvis from zero to two years old. Wow, and that's funny. Yeah, no kidding, right? Well, if we're going to talk about Moon Alice, we want to talk about 
Project Independence first. Okay. Because that was your effort to uh, basically. Do you want to go back to the beginning though? Sure, but we, we're a little crunched for time. If okay. you want to, what's so what do you the, feel the beginning was in 1998. I get a phone call from these guys. Basically, the Grateful Dead had been offered this opportunity to build a uh, giant real estate project. It was going to be called Terrapin, Terrapin Station. Right. And it was going to be multi-use. It was going to be an apartment building and a condo. Uh, it was going to be an office building and a theme park and a department store and all kinds of you know shopping mall. And a meditation center, I'm sure, somewhere in and there. And a museum and all this <laughs> other crap. I mean, it, was, it didn't have a snowball's chance in hell it happened. Because guys didn't have any money. They just had really pretty pictures. But I wound up working with the dead for three years. And it was basically post-Jerry, and the question was how to keep the whole family alive. And so yeah. I worked on Grateful Dead Productions two days a week for free. I had two rules. I would not be involved in selling the vault under any circumstances. And secondly, if they ever disagreed, I was going to split. So it <laughs> lasted for three years until they disagreed. And then the vault got sold. So it, it would have been time to go anyway. Right. So I get this... So what happened was while we were doing this, every band's really interested. We're basically reviving Dead.net. It was the thing that became, you know, the almanac and all of that direct stuff. It worked incredibly well. I had practically nothing to do with it. I helped, but I was, you know, the team there was the ones who did it. Uh, but all these bands wanted to know about it. And one of the bands that called was U2. So I'm sitting there one day and the dead thing had gone away, and I get this phone call. And it's like one of those moments where 10 seconds later you knew the perfect thing to say, but in the moment you uh, blew it. I get this there. phone call, and he goes, Roger, it's Bono. <laughs> and of course, I should have said Bono who, right? That would have been perfect. Bono yes. Or is that yeah. prior to Bono and, <laughs> and anyway, so it's Bono, and he's calling up. He wants to do this thing to save musicians. So I'm going, okay. So I bring it into the guys I'm working with. And let's just say that my guys I was working with really were tired of working with a hippie and they were trying to get rid of me. So Bono's idea was, look, screw that. We'll start our own firm and we're going to go and create this thing, Project Independence, to try to create a way for artists to basically be able to be as powerful in the music business as labels and publishers. So the notion was that they would be able to pool their copyrights and therefore have all the same financial strength that a label and uh, right now divide and conquer is the way if you look at Spotify and all that stuff it's just a simple divide and conquer strategy labels have labels have all the power the artists have nothing so we spent three years on this idea and we've got three of the top ten intellectual property owners in the rock and roll business lined up we're at signing and one of the lawyers gets to one of the artists and blows the thing up what artist I'm not going to say. It's just a stupid podcast. You can say. Exactly. That's why I'm not going to say. <laughs> but let me just put it to you this way. The lawyer's name was Alan Grubman, and he was known to all the people we met as Jabba the Grubman. <laughs> and his daughter was the one who plowed into all the people at that bar on Long Island. And, oh. You know, he's, 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 he's famous because he represents... I mean, he's the guy who believes that without conflict, there is no interest. So he represents artists, he represents the labels that manage the artists, and the managers of the labels who manage the artists. So ask yourself how well that's going to work out, right? Right. Well, this was one of those situations where, you know, the, hmm. the bread turned out to be buttered in a different place than Project Independence was residing. Right. And so it got blown up. And... Uh, it was one of those things. That's when I realized that the people running the music business 
are happy with things just the way they are. That basically the artists that dominate today are the same artists they knew when they were young and they're all going to retire together, you know? And the fact that there's going to be a crater where there used to be a music business doesn't bother them at all. I mean, you look at the Spotify thing and you want to strangle them, right? I mean, the Spotify thing, you look at this and you go, it's so cynical, right? Because they carved the contract so the artists are only eligible for a small fraction. And then they slice it so fine it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at this and you go, that's not an accident, right? I mean, that's they well, did, did that on purpose. So what about the, the it's a band that's here? Uh, I heard a story about this weekend. Uh, what's, um, uh, not Twiddle, what's the other one that's the, uh, or the afternoon band? Not sure. Uh, Wolfpack? Yeah, there you go. Wolfpack, they put out an album on Spotify. They told all their fans to li just, when you go to oh, sleep right. at night, listen to the album on Spotify and repeat. The album's 12 songs that have no music. It is 12 published songs that have no music that they put out on Spotify. And they, and their fans, listen to it over and over. And they got a check from Spotify for... You know, enough money from the listens that they were able to actually produce their first album, which wasn't like a $50,000 album, but whatever they made off of that was enough. Oh, it's an interesting... Different angle. Different angle, yeah. I also don't believe it. Yeah? I also don't believe it. Well, I think it's a great story, which is why I don't believe it. Alright, in the interest of setting up the next chapter, yes. can you first just um, talk about how you met T-Bone Burnett? Yeah. So, <laughs> we're working on Project Independence. So it's Bono and me, and Bono goes, there's this guy you got to meet in L.A. He's totally aligned with us, and he wants to get involved. And, of course, it's T-Bone. And, I mean, obviously, I knew who he was. He'd just done Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, right? And he, more importantly, he'd done the uh, Rolling Thunder Review Tour in the 70s with Bob Dylan. And I, I stood out all night to get tickets. had gone to a couple shows on that tour, and... You know, I was like, anybody who was on the Rolling Thunder tour was going to be okay with me. Just and so people know, it was Dylan with a bunch of other artists, and they interacted in a lot of collaborations. Yeah, and, and if you've never listened to it, there's a Bob Dylan bootleg of that tour, yep. which is, I think, I think it's bootleg number seven. It's the it, best of the bootleg series. It is. Well, let's put it this way. It is Dylan. It is absolute best. Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, and an amazing, amazing... Country, Mick Ronson. Country Joe McDonald. No, Mick Ronson was on it though, and uh, T-Bone was on it, and a, a lot of really cool people. Ramblin' Jack Elliott? Uh, but not on the album, not okay. on that album, he, on some nights. But anyway, it doesn't matter, it was just this great carnival-like thing, right? So I was totally cool to meet T-Bone. I go down and meet him. And so for a year and a half, T-Bone's working on this with us. And when the thing blows up, he, go, he was so pissed off. He goes, these guys have totally forgotten where the music business is coming from. And so one of the things that came out of it, he goes, I'm going to do a series of Americana Roots albums just to show people where music came from, but brand new bands, brand new music. Hmm. And he'd done Oh Brother, Where Art Thou from old music, but his, the idea was he was going to do a whole... So he gets, he get, there are three bands he starts with, and he puts them all together. One of them is a new band that he did with uh, Elvis Costello. One was us to do, and Elvis was going to do, I'm not even quite sure what Elvis's niche was, but we were going to do San Francisco Psychedelic, and then he gets Robert Plant and Alison Krauss to do a kind of Alton-Nashville kind of thing. And uh, so we all go to the studio at the same time. And I forget where, uh, where Elvis did his, but Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, and we were all in the village in L.A. And, you know, so I meet T-Bone Burnett, it's like, you're in the presence of royalty, right? I mean, T 
T-Bone is, the man has ears like nobody I ever encountered. I mean, simply unbelievable. He, you play him a couple things on an acoustic guitar, and he hears it as a symphonic mm. rendering, right? I mean, it's simply amazing. The experience of recording an album with him, and his goal was really simple. His basic notion with all of these things was to remind people that this thing that the music industry was producing was a product. It wasn't music. Because he was really tired of the fact that he had all these bands that you know, were so produced that like there was no organic, nothing organic to it at all, right? You know, there were no mus musicians, everything was like digitally yeah. optimized. Click tracked. Yeah, and so it was all getting back, to, I mean, we used lambskin drum heads and I mean, it was wild, really authentic stuff. Like the, the newest piece of equipment we used, I think it was made in 1960. The only auto-tune was the car being tuned up, the auto-tune. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. I mean, it was so, it was it was a, an amazing, amazing experience. And of course, Raising Sand comes out and completely sucked the oxygen out of the, you know, I mean, nobody paid any attention when we came out, which is why we wound up focusing on Twitter and Facebook, because it was like we couldn't get anybody to return a phone call. And it's hmm. interesting, because you're the guy who was two years ahead of the curve on the dot-com bubble bursting. Seems also, with music, you were ahead of the curve on... Don't worry about giving your stuff away for free. Get your stuff out there, develop interest, and that you use the video first audio, yeah. and then ultimately the video. Well, it, it seems so obvious, right? I mean, if you grew up a deadhead, as I did, and I mean, you know, a couple hundred shows, you know, I was not a taper, but I was a consumer of tapes, right? Oh, yeah. And I just thought that that idea of how you got to know bands was like, duh, obvious, right? And when T-Bone put us together, he goes, look, just you need new music but embed yourselves in the culture of the, the San Francisco psychedelic thing and so that's where the poster art comes from we do a poster at every single show from the very first one in fact the name Moon Alice what, there were three finalists and our art director picked it because he said that one you can just do better posters with that right yeah. and so all those pieces were there at the beginning but I don't think we kind of knew how committed we were going to be to the to the sort of hippie way of doing it for free with that was forced upon us by the complete indifference mm -hmm. of the music industry to what we'd recorded with t-bone and that was interesting though i remember when i uh, when you first guys first were going going about and and it was interesting to see that you had i mean the show might have had 50 people there and yet you still had a a poster for that show. I think it was Smith's old bar. It's kind of what I played with Jack Cassidy and G.E. Smith at, at yeah. Smith's, and I don't think Rogers played Atlanta since, and we'll ask about that later. Mm -hmm. no, it, 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 it's Smith's, Smith's old, old, Smith's old bar, yeah. Yeah, I remember it really, really well. And I want to say that it was uh, 2009. Sounds about I'm right. Almost certain is when. And we were there with, uh, um, we, we went there twice. Once with Tea Leaf Green in 2008, uh -huh. and then 2009 with The Colonel. Yeah. And uh, wasn't GE and Jack with, weren't they with you? Yeah, yeah, okay, both times. Okay, they both would have been uh, the Jack for sure the first time, maybe not the second time. Time with Colonel Bruce Hampton, we may have been Jack, you know, Jack was with us for um, parts of the first two years 2007 2008 because his wife was perilously ill and so ill that he didn't have enough time to do a hot tune tour. So Yorma had done these solo albums. And they did incredibly well. So he was out touring the solo albums. So Jack still needed a gig. I mean, how lucky were we? We got to play, I don't know, 30 gigs with Jack Cassidy? You know? That was huge fun. One of the best bases ever. I mean, and just one of the... And, and a 
human being who just, at least for me, it was such, you know, hot tune is the reason I learned to play guitar. And, you know, I'd been listening to his stuff from the airplane, and it was like, you know, it was just incredibly fun to get to know him really well. We want you back in Atlanta, though. Would you maybe bring Doobie Decimal down in Atlanta? Well, if you guys legalize weed, we're all over <laughs> it. Okay? But you don't only play states that are... You play all over the country. You play plenty of states where weed isn't legal. You don't? You don't play Pennsylvania? No, we have... They have medical in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. I'm medical. We came close. That's no, medical sorry. is at 25 states in the district. You're actually in pretty decent shape. You guys are in the minority now, although hopefully not for long. So you really only play those states? Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, you gotta you, listen. You gotta stand for something, right? Yeah. You gotta draw the line somewhere. And we actually had a problem in the South where, because our truck would come from California, had California plates, they would get harassed in a lot of the states. And so, yeah, and y'all go pull over here now. What, what you got in that trunk, sir? What it? I see that now. Now we got some stuff around here. Smell like skunk. Yeah, we're, but we're used to. It. We deal with them all the time. So it, 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 you know, I look at it and go, look, every community is allowed to have its own vibe and culture, and you just have to choose which ones you're going to subscribe to and which ones not. So we love the people in that part of the world, but you can't do that to your crew. You can't subject right. them to that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just not fair. But and, it's, it's such a weird point, thing, though, in that, that where you people, people that it's, if it's legal and it's so natural and it's so normal, and then you go to a place that's in the same country and it's not, you know? I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting time like that. Well, like Bonnaroo, just, they just, uh, arraigned 300 people they had busted at that festival. Now, why would you go to Bonnaroo and maybe get busted when you could go to a festival in Colorado or, or Oregon or California where it's legal? I think it's going to start having an impact on the festival community. We'll see. I, I mean, I hope that festivals continue to happen everywhere. Sure. I think music is an important community builder. And honestly, I really think that the tide has turned politically. You know, this isn't a Democrat versus Republican thing. It's not left versus right. This one's kind of common sense, you know. I mean, the war on drugs, it just hasn't worked, right? I mean, it hasn't reduced crime. It hasn't reduced gun violence. It hasn't reduced drug use. It hasn't reduced... I mean, the only thing it's done is, you know, hurt a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there are places that don't like change, and I respect that. They can change whatever pace they want, right? But you have to remember that as a country... You know, you're competing with other parts of the country for leisure dollars and travel dollars and all that. And, you know, my hope is to help California convert its extremely large black market weed business into mm-hmm. the largest growth industry in the state of California. And you're an extremely... Um you're an extremely good businessman, so I ask you this. No, I'm not. I'm actually a hippie who was really lucky because I showed up in the personal computer industry right as it was beginning, and I knew more songs than the other guys. Seriously, this is no joke. I mean, people go, dude, how did that work? And I go, it was really simple. They had a jam session at every trade show and every conference, and I've been playing Happy Hour for years. I knew hundreds of songs, <laughs> like the whole song. I had charts for practically everything. And it, they couldn't hold jam sessions without somebody like me, and I was the one who happened to be there. And just so from the beginning, I got to know these guys, you know, when we were all basically post-college, just, you know, on, it was like being on Dead Tour, but it was PC industry tour. <laughs> I'm not joking, because everybody was a deadhead. Everybody took the same drugs. I mean, remember, everybody in the PC industry was born at 55 or 56, which meant the Grateful Dead was the, the house band of the PC industry. Oh, yeah. Interesting. By a mile. Oh, no. I mean, think about it. Steve Jobs was kind of the lead guy, right? And what was Steve? You know, 
Beatles, Bob Dylan, Grateful Dead, right? He's the one who said, don't never trust anyone who hasn't taken acid. Correct. And by the way, he would have, if he were here today alive, he would say the same thing now. And, you know, it is a pretty reasonable cut. It's not, you know, it's not a horrible way to think about things. I mean, you don't want to be too black and white about it, but, you know, it's not a bad cut. I mean, I know worse ways to judge people. <laughs> well, we're running out of time. Can you talk about the decision to put every show on your website? You also uh, are very generous. You put, if you're sharing the bill with someone, there. So, yeah, we, so w- w- again, when we started out, we thought that having T-Bone as our producer was going to generate all this positive buzz. And the answer was, that's true, but only one band at a time in the band was Raising right. Sand with yeah. Robert Plant and Allison Krauss. So we were sitting there needing a, an alternative. So we go focus on Twitter and Facebook. And the question was, how are you going to make a stir there? And so the trick that we figured out was, hey, let's take the Grateful Dead model and pay it forward. Instead of just letting people tape, how about if we tape it, make a good version, and then just push it and see what happens? Because the distribution was free. So we started out doing audio on Twitter, you know, do originally live, which turned out to be really complicated. So what we did was then record it and just play it later and called it a zombie Twitter cast. And we did like 109 of them. And then we, this guitar tech gets a video camera and starts recording the shows. And fans would pay him five bucks to make a DVD. So the next thing you know, he going, people really like this. And, but he, he gets a second, third camera. And you know this, once you start cutting it, took forever it would take him like a month to make one show and we'd yeah. be playing 20 shows a month so after one show he's 20 sh- one month he's 20 shows behind so then we start doing live and then we go well this is really easy and people kept giving us stuff to promote it so it was costing us practically nothing and we thought well we can just teach bands how to do this what about these rooms that have crappy wi-fi or no wi-fi how did well, you work we bring, that so we, we we'd get we, we figured out how to do satellite that was the trick, was getting the satellite right. So you'd use, sometimes, you hardly ever use Wi-Fi because hardly anybody has enough bandwidth. Sometimes you use cellular. When you have LTE, if you have enough channels of LTE, you can do it. But what we mostly use is satellite, and that way we can do a 1080p high-def transmission, mm-hmm. and you do it live. And what we use is we use the Internet to buffer, so we introduce a lot of delay in Akamai, which is this distributor. And we put the delay in so that everybody gets the thing. Basically, these these guys, they don't take video seriously, right? Because they all got started doing like ads and images. So they think having 20% of the people dropping out at any point in time is like normal. So we've been able to get the dropout rate under 10% by this buffering thing, but they're always crapping out somewhere. So some people have to, you know, log in yeah. again. But it's been really fun. Yeah, we've done like 500 shows in a row. Moonalice.com. You can see Moonalice shows well, and, and Doobie Decimal shows. And you can also go to DDSBand.com and see the Doobie Decimal shows. Oh, I thought they were all on one. I apologize. No, they're no, they're they're both on, on Moonalice, but they're also on DDSBand.com. But we're and at Lockin. The, and now we also have them on Facebook. Now we do them on Facebook. Too. We're at Lockin. There was an issue with the Doobie Brothers, and this sometimes you oh, have yeah, to get yeah, past yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was really fun. So. Jason and I are, are touring with Moon Alice last summer. I get a phone call, and this guy starts screaming. I'm holding the phone out <laughs> like this, and I finally have to go, I'm sorry, who is this? And he's going, you stole my life like 35 years of work, and you're killing it. I'm going, dude, explain. I'm the manager of the Doobie Brothers, and you've stolen our name. And it, like, I, it's not registering at all, okay? Because we're named after a library card catalog system, right? Right, right. I mean, 
I'm not sure either one of us owned a Doobie Brothers album at the time. <laughs> and, I mean, not like we felt anything bad towards it. It's just that it's like it wasn't in our thought process. We were, you know, this all began with Jason. Some dude says, how do you keep track of nine bands? And he goes, he's got a system. When it's for music, right? And it, I smoke a lot of weed, so it's a Doobie Decibel system, right? That's where it came from. So anyway, this guy's screaming at me. I finally go, well, hang on. If you think we got a problem, why don't we just fix it? So I said, give me a few weeks. I'll figure out what the deal is. I've actually got some experience because I've been through this with Kelly and Mouse and Live Nation. and So I knew something about intellectual property. So we go and do a survey. And we discovered two things that were really embarrassing. The first was that they'd gone off the road for three years and they hadn't renewed their trademark. So they didn't actually technically own Doobie Brothers as a trademark. Whoops. They had Well, they had a common law mm -hmm. ownership of it because they toured as the Doobie Brothers you know, most years. And the second thing was, there was a band called the Doobie Sisters and a band called, I think, the Doobie Experience that were doing tributes, and they hadn't stopped either <laughs> one of them. So it's like, excuse me, you're kind of picking on us. And then, of course, you look it up and you discover there's a thousand businesses with Doobie in the name, right? And so I call them back and go, dude, I don't think your case looks that good. How about if we do a free license? That way you'll renew your trademark. We'll do you a huge favor, right? And he goes, no. I'm going, really? That's weird. I said, okay, I'll come up with something else. Give me another couple of weeks. So on the Friday before the two weeks ends, ends on a Monday, I've got this counter proposal, another idea for him. They sue us, formally. It hits the internet on Saturday. It hits social media on Sunday. By Monday, there's a shitstorm on Facebook going, what the hell are these people doing? Right? Why are they suing this? At that point, we'd been a duo, right? We'd played one band gig, and we're doing tight harmony folk music, right? <laughs> Basically, Beatles covers and originals. It's like, this is so weird, and everybody's going, what the hell's going on here? So, he says this, by Wednesday, Howard Stern has it. And Howard Stern just rips him a fresh asshole. The band finds out on Thursday. The following week is locking. So we're at Lockin, and we look on the schedule. The night before us is the Doobie Brothers. But the weather. So we're coming in, and Pete Shapiro sends me this, this little video, five seconds long, of a porta john sliding across a field, going, we're having a weather problem here. <laughs> right? They have this microburst. It's basically a tornado and a hurricane in a tiny little space, right? Wipes out the field, they lose their Thursday thing, the headliner, which is the Doobie Brothers. So they reschedule things, and they put them first thing Friday, which was great, because it meant that Moon Owls, instead of being the first band up on Friday, is the second band up on the same stage as the Doobie Brothers, and Jason and I are both here. So we're going to go right on after them on the same stage. And we're standing there, and their publicist comes up and goes, are you Roger from Moon Owls? I go, yeah. She goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. This is horrible. The guys want to say something to you. I said, I got a surprise for them. I'd gone over to our friend Jay Blakesburg, who's the official photographer mm -hmm. here. I said, Jay, after the Doobie Brothers set, be ready with your camera. We're going to do something. So they come off stage. And Tom Johnston, who's one of the original guys, comes up and he puts his arms on my shoulders and looks me right in the eye and goes, man, I would hate to be you right now. I said, I can't believe what we've done. He goes, 
We didn't know, and it's no excuse. I just want to say I'm really, really sorry. And if there's any way we can make it up. It was the nicest apology anybody's ever given me in my whole life. And I go, I think I can solve this whole problem right now. If you guys turn around, the three of you and the two of us, we're going to get our picture taken. And then you can spread it on social media to let everybody know that nobody's mad at anybody else. Doobie squared. Right? <laughs> and so it was like all doobie all the time. So we get the picture taken, they circulate it, and then basically it took a month and a half, but we got rid of the lawsuit and everybody lived happily ever after. And it was right here at Lockin. That's what was so cool, right? Yeah. And, you know, a year ago. And, you know, we're still here and they're still there and the world didn't come to an end. And, uh, you know, it, look, life is just like Spinal Tap, right? <laughs> I mean, as long as you recognize that exploding drummers is metaphorical, right? <laughs> then you realize, because eventually, if you're a drummer, eventually you do emotionally blow up. Because right. you're just sitting there staring at the, the singer's ass and smacking that stuff all day long. I mean, that's going to drive you well, nuts eventually. depends who the singer is, because you might be smacking her ass. Well, if yes, if, if it, it, you're exactly right, but generally it's some scrawny white guy, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, and so that's why they blow up. But uh, yeah, no, we've lived Spinal Tap, and you know, here we are talking to you guys, right? Yeah. And we're about done, but um, we've got to talk about your projects, uh, Doobie Decimal, uh, which, by the way, you also played some really nice Pink Floyd covers. Can you talk about going from a duo to a full band, the decision behind that, and how you chose who to go with? Well, I mean. Jason needs to offer this. We started as a duo because Jason came to Sweetwater and said we ought to get together um, when he first moved to the Bay Area. And then uh, he came down to my house and we had the Beatles scores, you know, a giant book that some Japanese graduate students created, every Beatles song transcribed, every note including the horns. And so we'd just go through and my wife, who's a professor of music, heard us and went, she thought it was a recording. She goes, wow, that's really good. You guys should do more of that. So we learned like eight songs, and like a week later, we got to play at Sweetwater between sets of a Moon Owl show. And everybody liked it, and so we did more and more of it. And then we were thought we were going to have Midnight North, uh, Graham Lesh's band, open f for the 420 show for Moon Owls, and then they had to bail. And so the only thing we had left was DDS, and we thought, well, we should do that as a band. So who are we going to get? Right? And so Lebo and Jay were like obvious and then we need a bass player so Pete did it and uh, and so we do the one show and then like nothing's gonna happen and then we go through the Doobie Brothers thing right yeah. so we're not thinking like <laughs> it's like that's definitely <laughs> putting a chill on things and um, but we got that taken care of soon enough and then we went out and did tour last December as a band and it worked really well I mean there was a really lovely chemistry right I mean at the end of the day with music chemistry really helps right but Moon Owls isn't done Hell no, no. Moonhouse has been rocking. I mean, you guys there? We just, we just got off. We just got off. Eight twenty. We've been playing uh, like crazy. Nevada City, Could you California. See the two of them touring together. Well, I suppose sure. I mean, everybody can tour together. I mean, I look at this and go, I like playing music. I like playing music with these people, and we're lucky that we live in a community that really appreciates our kind of music. And touring's gotten really expensive, so you know, right now we're playing a lot more close to home than you know in the past we would have gone to the east coast more but we'll get back it just you know you got to know you can make the math work right it's like anything else 
Do we have time for one more? We've got time for one more, but you got to ask it backwards. <laughs> Can you talk about how you linked up with Harley Strictly Bluegrass, and you actually provide the video, or yeah, help so, provide the video for that no, festival? No, we actually do provide the video, and um, the live stream anyway. We do the live stream. They, they, they produce the video that goes on the screens. So... Um, San Francisco's a small town. If you sit there and think about it, there, in the old days, you had Chet Helms and Bill Graham, right? And then when Chet went out of the business, it was kind of Bill Graham Presents, kind of kept everything going. And then Bill died, and into that void stepped a bunch of different things, right? And in the last 10 years, the combination of Warren Hellman and the folks at Slim's A Great American Musical, who put on the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival, as one axis, and then Phil Lesh at Terrapin and Bob Weir at, at Sweetwater have created this enormously exciting uh, culture where local musicians get to do a lot of things for money now that you don't get to do in any other town, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jason does Friends shows, Lebo does Friends shows, and the way that works is that a lot of musicians would otherwise be unemployed that night or playing for free are getting paid something to play at Sweetwater or Terrapin, right? And if you get really good, yeah. then you get to be a real band, which is what happened with DDS. We effectively started at a friend show at Sweetwater and evolved from there into something that really Absolutely. plays. And, you know, I think the same thing is true of the Golden Gate Wingmen and a couple mm -hmm. of the others. Those are things that came together in that same vibe. Yep. And being in the Bay Area right now as a musician, it's very cool because there is an energy level mm -hmm. at the small band level that hasn't been true in San Francisco in 30 years. Yeah, and it's also, it's got to be hard to be a, a small uh, smaller musician and living in that area because it's... It's ridiculous. It's expensive. <laughs> it, no, no, it's ridiculous. And to be clear, you know, that's why the visibility matters because otherwise you can't get out on the road and mm -hmm. survive. But on a, in a market like Atlanta, you know, Colonel Bruce Hampton and I have been talking about doing a Colonel and Friends uh, series at the City Winery in Atlanta where we can provide a space where musicians off the road, etc. But the key isn't just, hey, let's get these musicians together and jam, but let's have a budget. So on this off night, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday even, um, you know, th this is the gig. And hopefully the crowd's and, there to support it. And when you, after the second or third one, if it's work, then people are paying 20 bucks to come in and see people do a, a thing that's like Phil Esch and Friends, right? Mm -hmm. Which is to say, great musicians getting together because yep. they're friends and after the third or fourth one, you start to know some songs, yeah. right? And then maybe it turns into a band. Exactly. Spawns into different and, things. And, you know, it, we're lucky, and I'm sure Atlanta's the same way, but San Francisco for a long time, because it was a big tourist destination, mm -hmm. it was basically just national touring acts. The, you know, bands yep. got pushed out of town, like Green Day and Counting Crows and Train and all those guys. You forget about, you know, the, you forget you forget, about the locals. You forget that they were local bands because they had to go somewhere else to get broken out. Yeah. Because San Francisco, it's like, hey, you know, you aren't selling 15,000 seats? I never heard of you. Well, I think we need to take Inside Out out over to uh, San Francisco Oh, you really need and, to. If, and if, have only, a hang there. if only for the wheat. I mean, <laughs> it, it's really good. If, for whatever ails you, we have a cure. All right. If you lived in Great Britain, would you have voted for Brexit or against it? I would have voted against it. Well, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Legalized marijuana everywhere. Take a cup of the puffs. Yes, cup of the puffs. Just it up. Yes, cup of the puffs. No matter what, no matter where, on cannabis you can depend. To make it 
Well, I hope you enjoyed checking it out. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a fun one for me. That was a fun one for for all all involved. Well, here's the big thing. Like, there's a lot of stuff, dribs and drabs about Jason Crosby around there on the internet. Because, you know, I research these. I know I talk about people tell me I mention that too much. I'm going to stop mentioning (laughs) how I... It's okay. (laughs) Um, um, In in my research, I discovered that Jason Crosby's name actually was Crosby. I sometimes um, really get into the research. Sometimes it's annoying and and tedious, but the Jason was great because, you know, I was learning stuff. Like family. But it's never all been in one place, just the breadth and the extent of, of what he's done. And I really feel proud and I'm understanding he's getting some new management. So I hope they can use this podcast because this is an amazing musician who has a stunning amount of experience. And then, of course, Roger, as we said in the lead up, he's, he's a very, very altruistic, uh, good man, music lover, weed lover, very successful impression to businessman. And um, listen, folks. You heard what he had to say on our interview, but I want to give you guys a little bit of background. Our uh, sound engineer with Josh Thane, who's with Wonder Dog Sound Studios, he was sitting in the room talking to Roger while we were interviewing. Um, <laughs> Is this okay to say? Who, do, who were, it was the day before. Oh, no, we, we were, were interviewing Pete Sears. Pete, yes. When we were interviewing Pete, Josh is in the room just hanging out with Roger, and he got like an hour and a half just yeah. direct with him. We come out of the Pete Sears interview. We, we went into it, and we're talking with Josh and whatever, finish the Pete Sears interview, go back to the front of the bus, and it is a completely different Josh Thane. It is a, it is a wide-eyed, very hungry, very giggly Josh Thane. Yeah, that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Well, he, thanks. He invited us back, but every time I went back to the bus, he was talking with someone else, so I, I didn't want to be too pushy. Because, again, uh, normally I'd be that way, but also... Uh, my brother's my friend's brother is in that band so I have to be extra careful because I don't want to give Brett anything to give me shit about for the next decade uh, he's already got yeah, enough he's, but do they, why do they have different last names you know what he's told me before and I've forgotten I'll find out we'll have Brett on no no we're gonna have Brett on no yeah 50th no. episode anyway hey thanks for listening everyone if you haven't uh, I, you know what I haven't done yet is I want to remind everyone a big thank you right here right now to not only Wonder Dog Sound Studios but also Robert Kwan yes funny story about this episode so we're in the back of the bus we finish up with Jason and Roger comes back and then Jason I didn't notice this at the time because Jason was sitting there looking miserable afterwards apparently at one point Jason asked Robert if he could slide by him to get out <laughs> Robert said no <laughs> Yeah. Really? That's yeah. funny. Well, so Jason was kind of stuck in there, you know. So yeah, thank you, uh, Robert and Rob, for moving the tape. Stop moving the table, Rob. Thank you. Uh, and um, worry about well, things people can hear, like your horrible puns. Oh well, how about uh, big Not, thank like, you? I like to... little sounds that they maybe can or can't hear <laughs> in the distance. Worry about the stuff they actually can hear. That's like fucking lame. And this is uh, Simon's favorite part of the show now. I know. I know. So uh, and Rob. So, so, thank you to Terrapin Beer, a sponsor of the beverages of the beer called Terrapin. Cranberry pumpkin thing is great. The holidays are coming up. Grab some of that cranberry pumpkin and bring it with you to your uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Are you going to be, by the way, formal invitation? uh, Looks like I am going to be home for Thanksgiving here in Three. I wasn't initially planning on it. What? All my my parents, Amy's parents, my wife's parents, and our adopted son's parents. Yes, Thanksgiving is completely wide so open for me now. So I'm my there. son has three sets of grandparents. I've got three sets of grandparents staying at my house. We are, during Thanksgiving are going to do a therapy show. So how will it be different from other Thanksgivings? It'll be on a couch. Oh, how this year? I've I've got over like twenty people 
coming to our Thanksgiving house, like staying at our house. It's it's crazy. Is Birdie allowed? Can I bring Birdie? You'll have to talk to my wife. I love talking to your wife. So thank you all for listening. And please, if you haven't checked us out yet online. Almost as much as I love talking to your mother. Inside Out WTNS. Speaking of which. Yeah, review this. If you like it and you want more of this. If you don't like it, then just go listen to something else and leave us alone. If you Did like you guys it, ever listen to my mother's review? Oh, wow. Do you remember that? This is not going to go well for me. No. What did she say? No, I, I, you listened to it. It was episode one. I'm asking people if they listen. Oh, the very first one. Mm-hmm. Well, we come a long way. We were terrible then. Yeah, but I, so I asked it's her. It's still listenable, though. I mean, you still listen to it and laugh at how she terrible She made we're me, she, she's like. We're seasoned veterans now. Your sister told me that you interviewed someone from your favorite band. I go, I did. Do you want to hear it? I'll listen. You have to show me, though. So I flew down to South Florida. You flew down there to I show her. I flew down to show, just to fucking, fucking, to fucking press play on her goddamn phone. That's desperate. You need mommy love. Love me, mommy. Well, love me, mommy. That or, you know, I feel guilty about not giving her the love that she needed in the years lately. So yeah, I went down me, there. It's total love me, mommy. And I played the interview for her and she says, I still think your friend Rob Turner is a little funnier than you. Oh, no. <laughs> That's, Can you do better? Even though it's accurate, that's awful. You don't want to hear it from your mother. Well, then I go to my father. I'm like, Dad, did you listen to that? Huh? What? Me? I didn't listen to nothing. And I think Rob's funnier. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't say it like that. He goes, is that Red Sox fan still on the show? I go, yeah, of course. Hi, Rob a party. Yeah. Tell him Rob, tell him he's the big O. Oh. Oh. At any rate, so I flew back. I flew back, and then my mother, my, my mother, my my wife says to me, "Why'd you go down there? You should have done better." And that's, I mean, that's my life. So thanks for listening, folks. Thank you, Jason Crosby. Thank you, Roger McNamee. And uh, go check out Dewey, Doobie Decibel System or Moon Alice. If you notice, if you listen carefully, you can see a lot of their shows. You go to moonalice.com, or I think it's D. Doobie Decibel Band or something.com. They each have their own website, but they don't just have video of their sets. So if They you are, have video of other bands. Right. If you're a fan of a band that has co-built or opened or closed, opened for or closed after Doobie Decibel System or Moon Alice, that band might be on there. I watch Yorma video on there, you know? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff there beyond uh, Brothers Keeper. Ever heard of Brothers Keeper? Great band. I found out about them from Moon Alice. They played with Moon Alice. Let's end by saying two words. One word is this. Rob, name a new band that you're excited about. Voodoo Visionary. Okay, and I'll name one. Electric Beethoven. Oh, and I, 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 on my way over here, I heard a band called Apache Sun. That's what I called you about when you didn't answer the phone. You sent me that snooty text back instead. Mm-hmm. Apache Sun. I want to learn more about them. All we'll right, get, let's we'll do get that. to them later. And what was the band that contacted you and was interested in being on the show? Oh, I don't remember. That you liked? Sorry. Well, next episode. Yep. Well, thanks for listening. And... You must have liked them a lot if you don't remember their name. No, I, Rob, I, didn't, I never said I liked them. I liked the. I said I liked the fact that someone called us. You know, that's, that's well, let's check them out. That's pretty cool. And if you got a band or you know of a band, get in touch with us. You can email us at insideoutwtns at gmail dot com. Or that's the same inside out wtns is on Facebook and on Twitter. I'm rstner on Twitter. How do what, what are you on Facebook? You can check us out. Thank you, silly, silly Jew or something. Uh, shalomthejew dot com. Adios. I don't need an analgesic. 
I am not in pain Bring me a ritual A tribal game Moonlight on the water Shadows on my mind Tell each other things nobody knows It's 4.20 somewhere It might as well Clapping lightning, then the sky will clear. I don't need an anesthetic, I am not afraid. Traditional, agricultural, just rolling flame. Moonlight on the wind, shadows on my mind. Tell me something everybody knows. Somewhere it might as well be here. Rick for heavy weather, strange but not to fear. It's 420 somewhere, it might as well be here. Thunder clap and lightning, then the sky will clear. Inside a golden light, outside a stone. Clap and lightning, then the sky will clear.